All right, if you have your Bibles, turn to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3, as we continue this month in one chapter. I started out the first uh, service on just three words in this chapter. Count, press, and look. You ought to have the right values, you ought to have the right vigor, and you ought to have the right vision if you're going to do anything in in 2018 uh, for the Lord. And then the Lord uh, convicted me that I was not covering this chapter like I should, and so I've been in it ever since and uh, enjoyed every bit of it, got a lot out of it. This morning we preached on um, uh, the believer's perspective, the high perspective. If you get saved, God changes everything about you. He changes your want to, He changes your actions, but He changes your appetites and your aspirations. Uh, your motivations, everything changes when you get saved, and by the grace of God, you have a new perspective, and what you used to despise, you love, and what you used to love, the world, and sin, and the flesh, you despise it. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, is a new creature, old things pass away, behold, all things become new. But tonight, we're going to deal with something about putting this in practice. You know, you can have the purity, verses 1 through 6, you can have the perspective, uh, verses um, 7 through 11, but now we need to put it to practice. And I want to, uh, uh, you to notice one word, uh, the word I press, press, but also the word apprehended. And that brings me to my title, The Pursuit of the Believer. The Pursuit of the Believer. I believe that we ought to not just talk the talk, uh, we ought to walk the walk. And I believe we ought to do it energetically. I believe that we ought to be ardent followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the definition of a fan or a fanatic. I believe we ought to be fanatical about our uh, service, and I believe that we ought to be putting some effort in it. Amen? And I don't believe there's anything that's going to be accomplished in your life unless there's some intensity and some drive and desire uh, about you. I was talking to Jason right before the service. Good to see him. I hadn't seen him in years. And he served in Iraq, and I guarantee you military knows about uh, the intensity and, and the training and the discipline that you must have uh, to get the job done and, and, uh, and, and, and fight the battles and win the victories. And so tonight I want to preach on the pursuit of the believer. The pursuit of the believer. Let's stand in honor of the Word of God, verses 11 through 19 of chapter 3 of Philippians. Good to see all of you here. And it looks like we're seeing each other clearer every day with these new lighting. We put new lights in the choir. I know half of you didn't notice, so I wanted to bring that out. We got new lights on the platform. We got new lights over the orchestra. We tried to relocate them because the air-conditioned man said it was blocking the vents, but they didn't like it, so we just took the chairs down, amen? And they stood the whole time. That was good, no. And uh, wherever they want to play, it's just beautiful music, amen? I appreciate it. And so we ought to pursue it. I believe if you're going to do something for God, you ought to do it and do it with all your heart. I'm going to tell you what, complacency and indifference and apathetic apathetic spirit is killing the church. And we need to be uh, uh, excited, enthused, in theos, two Greek words, in God. We ought to be enthused about God. We ought to have some excitement. Uh, it's more important than a ball game. I mean, it's more important than the NFL, especially if won't salute the flag. So let's look at this, verse 11. It says, by any means I might obtain unto the resurrection of the dead. Not as though I have already obtained, neither were already perfect or mature, but I follow after. That's aggressive. I follow after, that I may 
may apprehend that for which I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count my, not myself to apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. And I press, look at these action words, I press towards the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Let us therefore as many as be perfect, be thus minded. And if anything you be otherwise minded, God shall reveal even this unto you. Nevertheless, whereunto we have already obtained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us mind the same thing. Brethren, be followers together of me, and mark them which walk so as uh, ye have us for an example. For many walk of whom I have told you often, and now tell you even weeping, that they are the uh, enemies of the cross, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is their shame, who mine earthly things. You may be seated, and I want to preach just a few minutes on the pursuit of the Christian. Father, thank you for something worthwhile, eternal things, not temporal. God, that we might win you, and that's your applause and your approval. God, that we might know you and the power of your resurrection, the fellowship of your suffering. But most of all, Lord, that we might be conformable to your death and to your image and to your likeness. And so, Lord, thank you that you didn't waste time the three and a half years you walked this earth, approximately. God, you set your face like a, like a flint towards Calvary, and Lord, you, you were driven to go to Calvary for us. And Lord, I thank you that we can know your will, enjoy your will, and be enthusiastic about it. So Lord, help us tonight as we see the high calling of the Christian, that we ought to have a pursuit, that we ought to have some energy, we ought to have some effort, we ought to have some vigor, we ought to press towards the mark of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. So Lord, give us strength, give us conviction, give us discipline. God, give us a delight in our soul to ardently follow you. And we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, I look at a lot of people, the effort they put in on a lot of things. I mean, athletes, they have to train every day of their life, get up early. They can't eat donuts, and they can't eat ice cream, and they can't, uh, do the, and they can't smoke and dope and all that kind of stuff because they'll, be, they'll not be winners on the field. A game, a little game. And uh, coaches get $100 million for uh, accepting the uh, tenure, tenure of the Oakland Raiders. And, and, and people put all their money and their effort. Uh, they're enthusiastic about it. They're excited about it. I know people from Georgia that, that, that drove all the way to California for one game, and it was almost a tragedy uh, that they lost. One game all the way across the nation. I heard there was two uh, tickets uh, for the uh, national championship that was going at $90,000. That's a deal, 45000 each. And you could sit there and watch a, a, a little game that people get excited about and dress about and yell about. And, and these, these players, they discipline themselves and they have effort and they strive and they hold up four fingers on the fourth quarter like, I'm going to give everything I have. I'm going to lay my life down and we're going to win this game. And I want to tell you something, folks. If we just put half of that enthusiasm and energy and commitment 
and, and, and energy into living for God, we'd be something else for God. Amen? And I want you to just see that Paul knew what was really important, and I've dealt with the values this morning uh, that we ought to count some things, and all the things that he lived for and even killed people for and persecuted the church for, he counted as dung, a refuge, uh, just, uh, just uh, manure is what the Bible says in verse 8. And he said, I want to press towards the mark of the high calling. That's what I want to deal with tonight. I want you to see the ardency in the pursuit. Folks, I want you to see the word obtain in verse 11. It says, if any means I might obtain unto the resurrection of the dead. Folks, listen, whatever's necessary is what he's saying. There's a purpose behind his, behind his energy. There was a purpose behind his vigor. I see the passion by any means. We will sacrifice for whatever we think is important. We'll sacrifice for what we love. We'll sacrifice and make uh, adjust our schedules and, and, um, and uh, go against the, the weather or whatever it takes. If we really love something, we'll make time, make money, and make energy to do it. Say amen. You know it's the truth. Whatever you love, you're going to do it. <clears throat> and you'll sacrifice for it. And folks, we need to sacrifice what's necessary to obtain the blessed, resurrected power of God upon our lives. We need to realize that we need to die to self. And we need to deny ourselves. We need to pick up the cross. And, and folks, that's not a popular opinion today. And that's not a, 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 a position of, of popularity. That's bearing His shame and bearing His name. And so there's a purpose and there's a passion, but there's a prerequisite in verse 11. It says, by any means I might obtain unto <clears throat> the resurrection of the dead. Folks, there's a desire. Most people are more interested in material and physical blessings of this life than they are spiritual things. And so, folks, we see it takes a desire. You know what you ought to thank God for right now? You ought to thank God that God gave you a desire to be here tonight. How many, how many wanted to be here tonight say amen? amen? And the rest of you just came because you felt obligated. Or maybe it was your duty. But I want to tell you something. God puts a holy desire in your heart. You are born to serve the Lord. Thank you for that song, Brother Alex. You are born to, to serve God. You're born again to serve God and glorify God. Then I see the admission in the pursuit in verse 12. He says, not as though I have already obtained. Oh, folks, there's a surprise. He has it arrived. If anybody had done, wrote, God used and write most of the New Testament. I mean, he was a great preacher, a great man of God, and a, a great missionary, a great, a great disciple, a great apostle. And he said, not as though I have already obtained. And folks, I want you to know what he was saying is, I could do more. And I could be better. And I could be closer. Uh, Dr. Lee Robinson was asked by Dr. Clarence Sexton right before he died. He said, do you have any regrets? Do you have anything that you wish you could have, could have done? And he looked at Dr. Sexton and he said, a few weeks before he died, he said, I wish I'd had more faith. I would wish I'd had more faith. And I want to tell you something. This man built, uh, was used of God to build one of the greatest schools and one of the greatest churches that ever existed up here in Chattanooga. Unfortunately, the devil's wrecked it and divided it and changed it and probably almost destroyed it. 
But I want to tell you something. He had uh, more people baptized than people go down I-24. I mean, there was people baptized right and left. And hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people uh, called to preach. Amen, Brother Bobby? And, uh, under his ministry. And tutored. And I mean, great men of God. Dr. Thurman Wade and others that we've had in this pulpit. Uh, uh, Brother uh, Jeremy Smith uh, was uh, close friends of Dr. Robinson. They ate many times lunch together at Wally's. Praise God for Wally's. Amen. And I want to tell you something, friend. He said, I wish I'd had more faith. And you know, folks, I believe with all my heart he meant that. And I want to tell you, he preached on faith every time he got in this pulpit. About 15, 20 minutes, it was over. But praise God, he said, have, have faith in God. Amen. Surrender all. Have faith in God. He'd always say it just like that. A tremendous man of God, but he said, I wish I'd had more faith. Folks, I want to tell you something. When you think you've arrived, you'll dive. And I want to tell you something. One of the things that I fight against all the time, and I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to do this. I don't, want to, I don't want to rust out. I don't want to settle in. I could settle in. I think I could settle in, and y'all would let me. But I, I tell you what, friend, there ought to be a drive about you and an energy about you an enthusiasm about you that just, you don't come in here half-hearted and leave more half-hearted. You don't just get, go through the motions or, or answer the drill. But I mean, there's a holy excitement about knowing God and loving God and being used of God and letting God use your little old life to glorify Him. What a, what a life. What a goal. What a, what a reason to press towards the mark of the high calling. It's not just to get by. It's not just to exist. I can't stand that song, Brother Derek, hold the fort. We're not holding the fort around here. We'll take new ground, amen? We'll take back the ground that the devil stole in people's lives. We don't hold the fort. We want to take the new ground and, and march to the orders of God and do something miraculous for God. Folks, listen, he was surprised, but he sanctified that admission by saying, not as though I've already attained. And he had a safeguard. He says, either we're already perfect in verse 12. He said, if I, it says, not as though I have already obtained, neither were I, I'm already perfect. In other words, he was saying, I know that I'm not the mature Christian everybody thinks I am. I need to grow. And I want to tell you something. The very day that you backslide is not the day you backslide. The day you backslide is when you get up in the morning and you're lazy towards God and you don't read your Bible and you don't pray and you don't seek God and you don't ask God for His help. You backslide privately a lot quicker than you backslide publicly, but the backslidden privately comes out publicly. And there comes to be some terrible sins in your life. We ought to pray and faint not. We ought to watch and pray because Satan is wanting to sift you he wants to destroy your testimony. He wants to devour your faith. And folks, it takes discipline to get up every morning and read your Bible. It takes discipline to go to bed and, uh, at a decent hour so you can get up the next morning and read your Bible. It takes discipline to turn the channel. It takes discipline to turn off the rock and roll music, the country music, and the things that pollute your mind, garbage in, garbage out. And no, folks, not because he had a great sin in his life like David or Samson. He just knew that he needed to do his best for God. Has there ever been a time, let me ask you this question. Has there ever been a time in your life where you were closer to the Lord than you are right now? Has there ever been a time in your life where you were closer to God than you, were, you are right now? If there has been, you're backslidden. 
You say, I resent that. Hey, don't resent it. Repent. Amen? This is not, this is not some place to be catered to for your likes and dislikes. It's to be preached. That if there's ever a time where you're more excited about God, if there's ever a time you're more energetic about God, you're more disciplined about God, that means you have backslidden. You have left your first love. You have cooled off. You have settled in. And God forbid that we'd settle in because we're in a warfare. The devil's attacking more than he ever has. The church is being divided more than it's ever been divided. Folks, the safeguard is is this in his admission. I'm not perfect. Neither, either were I'm already perfect. But he said this. Here's the aim. He says, but I follow after. (laughs) I follow after. You know, I want to tell you something. You got to have a goal. You got to have a goal. And that safeguard is this. Don't get so prideful you think you've arrived. and You don't need to read your Bible through again this year. Don't get so complacent that you think, well, I'm older now, let some younger person do it. Don't, don't, don't get so, don't, don't fall into mediocrity. Folks, God didn't call you to be medium. God called you to be supersized. No, God called you to, God, God called you to be excited for God. God called you not to be mediocre in mediocrity. Listen, this is what God called you to be. God called you to be a miracle. Where have all the miracles gone? God's called you to do something miraculous for God. To see a soul saved this morning? God, to, to see a, a little mom come and uh, get off the bus carrying a little baby in a car seat? We call it a bus seat now. I mean, and in a bus seat and then fall on the altar and say, at that exact time her daughter's getting saved? Folks, I want to tell you something. There's something for you to do. There's something for you to be. And folks, God's not finished with you yet. The only reason you'd be finished is you just get out of the, uh, and go sit on a bench somewhere and fill a space and become a member of a, a complacent, dead, cold church. God forbid we ever be like that. Folks, we have, we have, we have to safeguard against that. We have to safeguard against the coldness of heart. We have to safeguard against the complacency of spirit. We have to safeguard from just not having enough faith to believe God can do great things now as He did 40 years ago. I often ask this in prayer. Dear God, help me never to lose the pioneer spirit. When we came to this town, didn't know nobody, didn't know where the next meal was going to come from, didn't know if we we're going to have anybody show up at the next service. I'll never forget one time I preached on July 4th. We had 29 Sunday school, 42 in church. And that night, nine people. No, the next Sunday was July 4th. And we had nine people show up. I said, man, I ran everybody off. I did not know that all the carpet mills closed the same week. Back then, all of them closed. It was shut down time. And it was get out of town time. And I thought, oh my goodness. I have ran everybody off. Because five of them were my family. I invited them up from Atlanta. There was only four people there in that little upstairs room. And I said, I have blown it. And folks, listen, I want to tell you something. God wants us to have an aim to our life. He wants us to apprehend. And folks, too many saints are self-centered about their salvation. Look at verse 12. It says, not as 
though I've already attained, neither was already perfect or mature, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which also I'm apprehended of Christ Jesus. In long and short way, he's saying, I need to fulfill the reason I got saved. I was apprehended, I got to apprehend. Self-centered about salvation. You know what that means? I'm just going to heaven. Praise God, I punched my ticket. I'm not going to hell. Praise God, I'm saved, and I'm going to sit there in my blessed assurance until Jesus comes. No. He said, I've app- i got to apprehend for what I'm apprehended. God calls us not only to be saved, but to be sanctified and thrilled, filled, and satisfied and spirit-filled servants and do something for God. God didn't call us to be spectators. God told us to get in the game, so to speak. I hate watching soccer. My youngest son has become a soccer fanatic. He's the Atlanta United. And he's all thrilled about it. And I've accused him is because he's a Tennessee fan. He ain't got nobody else to cheer for. But anyway, and he don't like Georgia. But I'll tell you this, friend. I will tell you this. Uh, uh, I hate to watch soccer because it's boring. I tell you, I don't like a sport where somebody gets a little hurt, and they just fall down like they're dead, and they're wallowing like a dead fish, you know. They want, to, they want somebody to call a, a, a penalty, and they're not hurt. Praise God, get up and fight. Get up and win. Go jump the guy that hurt you or something, but don't just sit there and lay there, you know. And, and, uh, but I love playing it, and it gave me a free ride to uh, the Georgia State University and paid for my education, and and uh, I love it. And, but, you know, when I got hurt, they forgot who I was. And when I was on crutches, they, did, they said, uh, Wayne who? I was the captain of the team for my junior year in college. And so when I got hurt uh, on my senior year, I didn't play because of that, of that injury. And they didn't even send me a card. <laughs> they didn't check on me. They threatened to take my scholarship away from me. I said, I think I was being used. <laughs> I was skinny Kenny then. I can run. But I'll tell you something, friend. We didn't, hey, listen, we're not in this thing for ourselves. Amen? We're not in this thing just to go to heaven. He said, that which I've been apprehended. I want to apprehend because I've been apprehended. Somebody came after me. Somebody witnessed to me. His name was Stephen, and he had a look of not hate or hell on his face. He had a look of heaven when they were stoning him. And that crucified uh, old Paul's pride. He said, wait a minute, something's different about that Stephen right there. And he got saved. <laughs> you know, stop persecuting Christians and making children orphans and putting them in prison. He started living for God and he started apprehending lost people. Started apprehending the religious. He started taking his pen and saying, Holy Ghost, what do you want me to write next? Chapter 2 of Philippians, chapter 3, chapter 4. And folks, he was used of God in a glorious way. At the end of his life, he said, I fought a good fight. I finished my course. I've kept the faith. Henceforth, there's later for me a crown of righteousness, not only for me, but all those that love his appearing. Folks, he, li- he lived a fulfilled life after he got saved and after he was submissive. I see the submissiveness. I see the saint for which I'm apprehended. But I see the action in verse 13 and 14. We'll get to that. And we won't be long tonight. Some of the classes are partying after the church. I'm trying to be uh, conscious of that. Not to, though. Look at verse 13. It says, Brethren, I count not my ha- myself to apprehend it, but this one thing I do, 
Don't you wish people would just do one thing well? That'd be like Brother Derek, uh, uh, you know, you go up there and just try to play all the instruments at one time. No, you just need to do one thing well. You need to have your part. In an orchestra, you do one thing well. And if everybody else does one thing well, it just comes together. All of you are gifted. All of you have gifts or you wouldn't be sitting in this church. If you just use your gift for God and, and fill your place and do what God called you to do and influence your sphere of influence and be a witness on your job, this place couldn't hold the people. If everybody would just be the member God's called them to be and not just spectators. Come on, say amen. I'm saying, friend, this is a call to action. This is a call to submission. This is a call to sanctification. This is a call to let your life be used of God. Because it says in verse 13, this one thing I do, one priority in life. Here it is. Forgetting those things which are behind reaching forth to those things which were before. I press towards the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Folks, I see the focus in this action. One priority. Only one life, so soon it will pass. Only what's done for Christ will last. You realize 10,000 years from now, only what's done for Christ will last. The most important thing on your tombstone will be the dash between the dates. That represented your life. Amen? And I want to tell you something. Only what's done for God's glory and God's honor, only what you gave your energy for for His name's sake, will really count. It won't matter how many goals you scored or how many trophies you've shelved or how many dollars you have saved it's only what's done for Christ will last so give to Jesus all your days for it's the only life that pays when you recall you have but one life do not try to play every instrument in the orchestra just select one and be, be an expert at it or do your best and I love this word forgetting not only do you do one thing right but forgetting I don't have trouble with that now, but sometimes I forget where my keys are. Sometimes I forget where I park my car. Sometimes I forget where I'm going. Have you ever done that? Some of you that's over 60, 5, 70. Some of you young people are shaking your head. What's wrong with you? Praise God. <laughs> hey, it's a stressful life I live. I go to college. We're on, we're on the road and we. We forget where we're going. We have to turn around and go to the right place. But folks, that's not this amnesia. It means forgetting those things that are behind. You know, we ought to forget our past failures. You know, I read a book by a guru that, uh, of success, Maxwell. He said you ought to fall, you ought to fail forward. You know, I believe that we can learn from our failures. I believe most indeed we learn more from our failures. Have you ever took a midterm exam and failed it? You learn a lot then, praise God. You better turn it on. Last time I did Bible study at the college, it was the week of finals, and I could just see the panic in some people's heart. I could see their sleep uh, 
fading away, and I could tell that they were, they were, they were determined to dig in for the whole night because they'd wasted the whole semester. No. And they got to catch up. And that's exactly the way I was. But folks, I want to tell you something. There won't be any cramming for the final exam at the judgment seat of Christ. We need to day by day find God's will, get excited about God's will, be dedicated to it, savor the things of God, not the things of the world, and, and not let the past poison the present and ruin the future. Some of you have failed miserably. I know you. And I've failed miserably. But I'm glad that God gave us the grace to get back up. Amen. Whew. Where will we be today? Folks, this keeps us from despair. Then we ought to uh, forget the past hardships. Not, not that we can't learn from them. But folks, I want to tell you something. If we keep, keep thinking about all the hardships of the past and we don't put them to end, we're going to let that load of the past carry on to the load of the present and we're going to just give up in despair and it keeps us from difficulties and we ought to even forget the past successes that keeps us from defeat you know a lot of times we say well I've I've served God I I started this church Uh, we've had a lot of souls saved we're debt free Uh, we're not in storefront and I could get as lazy and laid back as could be about the past. I don't want to ever do that. I don't want to do that. I want to, I want to re- realize that every day is an opportunity. We ought to seize that opportunity. We ought to be excited about that opportunity. We ought to have goals. One thing I do, we ought to press towards the mark of the high calling. We ought to realize God's given us an opportunity to serve the living God and do something for eternity, and not just for the things of this world, and for our selfish selves, that God's called us to press towards the mark. And so folks, reaching forward, there's the forwardness of the action. We ought to forget in the action, we ought to see the focus in the action, but we ought to see the forwardness. We ought to change, change a few things here. Look at verse 13. It says, Forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth to those things which are before. I think Christians ought to be future oriented. I don't believe we ought to be so pitiful about our past and, and we ought not let the devil use it like a video recorder to us and say, well, you blew it here and you blew it here and you did this and you did that. Folks, put it under the blood if you're forgiven and go on for God. Say amen. Don't let the devil... Uh, poison the present and ruin the future with your past. It's gone. You can't go back. And folks, we ought to be future oriented because that's where we're going to live. This year, we ought to be excited about pressing towards the mark. And then I see the fervency of our action. I press towards the mark. Folks, listen. There, you can't do nothing unless you set your mind to doing something. You know, you ought to have a goal in your life. If you don't have a goal, you're surely going to hit it. Nothing. I mean, you ought to have a goal in the morning to get up. Amen? Read your Bible. Pray. Sip a cup of coffee in the name of Jesus or something, Brother Howard. Come on. Smile at your wife and shock her real good before 7 o'clock. Hug her and tell her you love her and you'd marry her again if you had the chance. 
That'll start your day off right. Say amen instead of getting up, griping and complaining and fussing and the preacher preached too long and the chicken exactly was cold and, and the french fries were stale and bless God, I'll tell you this Monday morning, I don't even like my job, I don't like my boss, I don't like nothing. And you just go around the house grumping and complaining and everybody's dodging you and wondering if the bear's going to come home in a better mood. That ain't no way to live. We ought to reach forth tomorrow. We ought to press towards the mark of the high calling. Let me just hurry up and close. You said, I wish you would. I'm hungry. There ought to be a tenacity. A tenacity. And there ought to be a fervency. And folks, the goal of your life ought to be the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. It's a high calling. God's called you to be His Ambassador. There was a preacher, an old-fashioned preacher from Hammond, Indiana, and he was on a plane, and a guy sitting next to him that was a uh, tremendously educated professor. You know, the professors. They always have the long beard and thick glasses. Professors. Some of you have long beards and thick glasses, and you still ain't a professor. But anyway, uh, and he said, what do you do for a living? The preacher broke the... Uh, uh, conversation uh, in in a little bit, and he says, "Well, I'm a professor, and, uh, and I and I, I study um, aerodynamic physics or something." And he was just, you know, a lot of accolades. He was a doctor, an earned doctor, and going on and on and on. And finally, he looked at the little old preacher and said, "Preacher, who are you? What do you do? And uh, where are you? Where are you headed? Who are you?" what's your occupation? He says, well, glad you asked. I am an ambassador. He said, oh, you're an ambassador? He said, yeah, I'm an ambassador. He said, well, what country do you represent and who's your king? He said, my country is heaven and my king is Jesus. And he led that guy to the Lord on the plane. <laughs> hey, friend, we're ambassadors. We don't have to take a second, we don't have to take, take a back seat to, to uh, any professional athlete, any High, mighty educator, uh, any brain surgeon, that's who I think ought to make 100000 a year. I mean, $100 million in, in 10 years. I, we don't have to, we are a child of the king. It's not something of pride, it's something of gratitude and, and attitude is that God has saved me and called me. And folks, our goal in life is to obtain and win Him and His applause and live for Him and glorify Him and thank Him. Folks, this speaks of God's will. Isn't that a beautiful term? God's will for your life. God's plan for your life. What is it? I'm glad you asked. It's the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. It's for you to be like Jesus. It's you to be His representative, His witness. In the Bible days, it was their, His martyr. They died for their faith. He wants you just to live for your faith. He wants you to get excited about your faith. He wants you to be faithful about your faith. That's not asking too much by the mercies of God. He wants you to present yourself a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Amen? Folks, I want to tell you something. The prize tells me about, I press towards the mark of the prize of the, of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. 
that there's a reward. There's a reward. I want to tell you what the reward is in present tense. Fulfillment. You'll never be fulfilled trying to satisfy this world. You'll never be fulfilled trying to satisfy your flesh. There's got to be a time in your life where you die to self and get on that cross and say, Dear God, crucify me. I'm crucified with Christ and I reckon myself dead indeed into this world. And give your life as a living offering to God. And when you do that, it's the most fulfilled life in the world. A lot of people look at me at meetings and stuff and say, I cannot believe you've been in one church 40 years. This is your first pastor, right? And they look at me and they act like I've done something wrong. I haven't done anything wrong. Maybe that's why I'm still here. And they say, what, you know, like, couldn't you go to a bigger church or a bigger town? Or if I listen to my son-in-law, couldn't you be a missionary? <laughs> and I say to myself, I'm in God's will. I'm enjoying myself. I enjoy preaching more than I've ever enjoyed preaching in my life. I know y'all don't enjoy listening more than you ever have, but I enjoy preaching more. Somebody said it lunch today, I wish you hadn't quit so soon. I said, say that again. I said, I wish you hadn't quit so soon. I wish you'd just continue. I said, okay, praise God. You've, had, you've said it. I'm doing it. Tonight I'll preach an hour. No. It's a rewarding gift to fulfill God's purpose for your life. And His purpose, Isaiah 43, 7, is to glorify Him. His purpose, Revelation 4, 11, is to please Him. And the only way you can please God is by what? Hebrews 11, 6. Faith! And so folks, I have faith to know that God's got something special for you to do. But most important of all, God's got something special for you to be. You know, a lot of people in here have a problem with self-image. I mean, there's a problem in this world with self-image. If I hear another sermonette on self-image, I'm going to croak. What we need is God's image. But I'll tell you this, friend, there's a lot of people down on themselves and don't think they can do anything for God, and they think because of all the tragedies of the past and all that they've done in the past qualifies them to rest in the future. Folks, they're very unhappy. They're very unfulfilled. They're depressed, almost. You get a ministry, and God uses you to help one soul get saved, it'll be the best day of your life. And if you can pillow your head at night and say, Dear God, are you pleased with my day that I've given you? And he says, Yes. There's nothing so precious as that peace of knowing that you're obtaining the high calling of being a Christian. Look at the application of this real quick in verse 15. Let us therefore as many as be perfect be thus minded. And if anything be otherwise minded, God shall reveal even this unto you. Nevertheless, whereunto we have already obtained, let us, let us walk by the same rule, let us mind the same thing. Brethren, be followers together of me. Folks, one of the greatest things you can do to apply this purity, this perception, this, this right value system, this right uh, attitude, is put it to practice. 
and be an example and be a stepping stone and not a stumbling block. If you go into sin and you go into apathy and you go into indifference and you go into backsliddenness and you go into this cool hand Luke do nothing attitude, you're going to be a stumbling block to somebody and especially your children and I doubt if they'll even be in church in 10 years. Because they saw you cool off. They saw you get numb and they saw you get hurt and they saw you laid back and they saw you backslidden and they said, well, it must have not been worth being faithful to. You have not arrived. God has not finished with you yet. And folks, we see that Paul puts himself on the line and says, just follow me. But then he says, and mark them which walk so, uh, so to have for us an example. And he says, mark them. Look at verse 18. This is shocking. This is where we're at today. For many walk of whom I have told you often, and now I tell you even weeping, because they're supposed to be Christians, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ. There was an Epicurean movement like the contemporary Christian movement today, and that Epicurean movement was this. It was living for fleshly appetites. They taught that the satisfying of the fleshly appetites was the highest objective of man. And many Christians were falling to this fleshly appetite. If it feels good, do it. No! If it's in this book, do it! And sometimes it's just not going to feel good. There's going to be sacrifice. There's going to be conviction. There's going to be brokenness. And then usability. Folks, the Bible says that he goes on to say this. For many walk of whom I told you often, and now tell you even weeping that they are the enemies of the cross, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is their shame, who mine earthly things. Folks, listen. Whose glory is their shame, Belly, what a, what a term, belly. I would never even use that word, belly. It reminds me of fatness, amen? And every time I look at mine, I say, oh my, it's time to go on another diet. But I believe this belly means the innermost appetites of the flesh. You just live to get something all the time. You live to be a getter instead of a giver. You live and you come just to get blessed instead of be a blessing and bless His holy name. You come to be entertained instead of to have intercession. You come to have the flesh feel good and let's dance to the music instead of mourn and be broken and get up and live a resurrected life of power and and holiness, and, and, and godliness, and, 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 and purity. Tragically today, folks, are trying to build churches that appeal to the flesh in order to attract people and to get a crowd. It's called pragmatism. You just do whatever it takes to get a crowd. It don't matter how much you compromise. It don't matter how much worldly music you bring in. It doesn't, don't offend nobody now. Don't, don't use the H word. 
hell. Don't, don't, don't rebuke sin and, and don't preach against the flesh. Just make everybody happy because the Christian life is a happy time. And I want to tell you something, friend. Paul preached against the God and the worship of their belly. And he said, whose glory is their shame. And then he just summarizes it. And I'll just read it. Who mind earthly things. I'll get into this next, next week, but I'm going to tell you something, folks. He ends the chapter on a positive note, and he says, For our conversation, our citizenship is in heaven, from whence we also look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And look at this, verse 21. Who shall change our vile bodies, and he may fashion like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. And folks, listen, I want to tell you something. He's coming, and he's coming soon. Ready or not, here he comes. And I will say this. We don't have time to play church around here. We don't have time to appeal to the flesh. We don't have time for politics from this pulpit. Politicking that we're going to let our way supersede his way. What we have time for is this. We're in a warfare. We're in a battle. The devil's roaring, seeking to devour. And we need to put on the whole armor of God. Can somebody say amen? And we need to have Holy Ghost prayer meetings. And we need to not appeal to the flesh to draw a crowd, but we need to have revival. And we need to realize that we can press towards the mark of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus and make this life called Christianity more attractive than the worldly appeal today that's drawing thousands people, thousands of people all around America, leaving good, solid, scriptural churches for a sensational service. And folks, I believe that's worshiping the God of the belly. I believe that's, that's appetizing and it's, and, it's, and it's playing footsie with the world. And folks, I don't believe it's real worship. I believe it can be an enemy of the cross if we don't realize that God has called us to savor the things of God, deny ourselves, pick up the cross, and follow Him. And Paul was saying it very clearly. I pressed towards the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. And Paul suffered. And he was forsaken. But praise God, when you open up the Bible, especially the New Testament, you probably can't help but see that Paul was used of God to deliver the message. And he finished his course and he kept the faith. It wasn't easy. It wasn't winsome. But he said, hey, listen, I set the example. Now follow me as I follow Christ. I believe in the last days, We're going to have more of the world try to come in this church than ever before. And we must realize there's a high calling. I like what Dr. Clarence Sexton often says. He said, take the high road. Don't take the low road. God didn't call us 
to hang around the vultures, to be stool pigeons to the devil. He called us to soar like eagles. He called us to not faint. They shall run, and they shall mount up with wings of eagles. And folks, we will not faint if we will realize that God has called us to be pure Christians with a perspective, but also Christians that have holy discipline and press, press towards the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. I pray that God would bless His Word tonight to our hearts. That we would not be a stumbling block, but we'd be a stepping stone in these last days. And realize God's not finished with you yet. He's got purpose and He's got power for your life. Let's pray. Father, thank you for these scriptures. It hadn't been fun to preach tonight. Probably hadn't even been entertaining, but I'm not here to be a Christian comedian. And I'm not here to be an entertainer. God, I'm here to deliver the message from God's Word to our hearts. Lord Jesus, help us to realize the high calling and the prize of that high calling is to please you. And one day at the judgment seat of Christ, hear, well done, thy good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a few things, I'll make you rule over many, enter into the joy of the Lord. Lord, help us. God, help us to have the proper perspective of life. Help us to stay pure in that proper perspective. But God, may we, oh, may we, dear God, value the things of God more than the things of the world. May we savor those. May we desire, have a holy want to, a holy appetite in 2018 for the things of God. And Lord, when we don't feel like it, that we won't give in to the flesh, but we read our Bible anyway. We pray anyway. We fast and pray. We seek you. We lay before you and surrender and beg you to keep us on course. Lord, I don't believe you're finished with me yet. I don't believe you're finished with this church. I believe our greatest days are ahead if we remember chapter 3 of Philippians and press towards the mark of the high calling of Christ Jesus.